All right. Ooh, uh well, good morning. Welcome to y'all. Welcome to anybody else that might be looking through the internet online. What a marvel that people can look and watch from distances. What's going on here this morning? So, as Monty said, my name is Brian Miller, college minister. Been here. This is my sixth year. So, for all of you people who think, man, he's been forever the guy, I have not been. It's just been six years. Before that, I was a principal. In Fort Worth, I was an assistant principal in Navasota. I was a teacher at Oakwood Middle School, fifth grade and sixth grade, back in the late 80s. And my family and I are here. I have three kids. They're all in some stage of school, even though one is married. And they're all here. They all live here. So we're blessed that we get to see them so regularly. That's truly a blessing for us. So um, this past... uh, semester on Wednesday nights when the AFC has been together we've done various things depending on what the circumstances were and sometimes even trying to gauge the feel of how everybody was feeling when it was anxiety or stress or whether people were feeling more relieved you know there's just so much you can do sort of feeling getting the temperature of the group Um, but we sort of tried to alternate from some uh between several different themes, but one that we covered regularly was spiritual disciplines. And we had a couple of sort of opening statements that helped us with the spiritual disciplines. We're not talking about spiritual disciplines specifically this morning. There's one area that I do want to present to you, although it's not typically considered to be a spiritual discipline or habit, okay? So the couple of statements are, we have a couple of slides that'll give you a couple of things that we do. So we kept trying to say over and over every time that the AFC was together that you don't accidentally just get close to God. You're not going to wake up one morning over some period of time and find yourself like, oh, look, I'm feeling really close to God today. And that, as the following lower statement says, people don't just drift toward holiness, godliness, prayer, obedience, and faith. You don't just find yourself at any time just in this state of obedience and prayer and faith. That it's not an accidental sort of process where you're not involved with it. And then another statement that we tried to focus on when we were looking at the lives of Jesus was we come become like Christ by doing one thing, by following him in the overall style of life that he chose for himself. As people are choosing to be followers of Jesus, the necessary step then would be for us to pattern this is not unusual to you've heard you as disciples to uh, as disciples to pattern yourself after Jesus to do the things that Jesus did so that you can be like Jesus and you have to actually do the things and act in the ways and follow his example if he did this I do this if he practiced this I practice this so that we don't just think that drifting or accidentally you'll find yourself to be like Jesus. I actually think that there's a frustration level that sometimes comes up when people over periods of time live a Christian life doing right things and trying to be moral, um, but find themselves still not necessarily really interconnected with Jesus. Sometimes I think of it like this. How comfortable would you be if in prayer you tried to envision 
and perhaps you do this, but you pro, uh, try to envision yourself coming maybe in here on a, uh, on a Saturday morning when no one's here, and you're sitting down and you're doing your prayer time, having your prayer, and you just try to uh, imagine Jesus just sitting right next to you and how that conversation would look different and how it would, um, how, what, the things, what would be the things that you would say and how would you say them. This close, improx, this close proximity to Jesus so they feel him more intertwined and interconnected and working through us is something that is a product of you actually following in his steps and doing what he does. But too often, me included, we sit in this sort of uh, gray area of trying our best to follow Jesus but not ever necessarily feeling as if we're sort of wrapped up with him or if he's sort of enveloping us and that may not be a great description of how that feels and there's certainly times regardless if we're following Jesus steps exactly or not that we'll feel despondent and discouraged it's not a cure-all but the guide of Jesus's life provides clues for us in regard to how we actually can stop the drifting stop the assuming that well Next week, I will feel differently, or I'll feel closer to God. Sometimes you may say, hey, are you feeling close to God? And what your answer is, I don't know. And often, that closeness to God that we are, someone asks us that question, our response is going to be best based on our emotions or feelings at that time. Well, I'm feeling pretty good right now. If things are going our way, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm pretty close to God. If things are not going our way, yeah, God seems a little distant. We're trying to solve that conundrum, okay? So one of the spiritual disciplines that I actually added, it was not one that I found as a discipline, although I'm not trying to play like I'm the generator of this thought, but was this idea when I'm talking to the college students, and this is applicable to you, that one of the biggest factors upon their journey of faith, on their journey of faith, and they being on a sustained journey of faith, where they're journeying, actually walking toward Jesus, is the kind of friends they have. And so I said spiritual friendship as a discipline, as a spiritual discipline. It's not a discipline in the sense that we would fast, and it's not a private discipline. I'm going to fast, I'm going to pray privately in the darkness of my room to talk to Jesus. But it is a discipline nonetheless, because it takes effort, and it takes practice, and it takes initial steps. Now, first of all, many of us have great close friends. You hunt together, you fish together, you talk basketball together, football, gardening together. You talk about your kids. You talk about your grandkids. You talk about problems, you talk about disease, you talk about death and health issues. We ask for prayers for those on occasion. We talk about how's the church doing, what's happening in the country. We talk about things that aren't just always lighthearted. Sometimes I'm, de- I'm, I'm down, I need to help, I go to someone for encouragement. All of those elements are part of close friendships. And all of those elements certainly could be a part of a spiritual friendship. But the question is, for a spiritual friendship, the litmus test is this. Do you, in your friendship, talk about Jesus? Do you talk about Christ things? You can have an extraordinarily close friend, 
a lifelong college friend. Someone you might share great details about your life with. And that's an element of a great friendship. But the spiritual friendship has within it a goal of not just comfort and assistance, although that's part of it. It has the added and often missing element of, do you talk about Jesus and God things and spiritual things? So I'll tell the students. One of the things that's going to determine whether your 21, 22, 23-year-old self at your 53, 54, 55, or 72-year-old self, will that that 72-year-old self be on this same journey of faith will largely depend upon friendships and, I think, spiritual friendships. They might find themselves in a church and they might find themselves wanting to do right, but if you want to grasp what Jesus wants to grasp with you, there seems to be the dependence on friendships and others with us pushing us, helping us, have those types of friendship. The more spiritual friends you have, the more safe you are in Jesus. They have different protective elements. They different have, a, have sort of an enveloping of your heart element. Because remember, and I've said this before, and I've said it in the AFC class multiple times, there's no such person as a rogue Christian or an isolated Christian. God's plan from the beginning even back with Adam and Eve, Adam needed someone with him. He didn't want him to be alone. Since then, whether it was in groups with Jesus or clans or families or tribes or groups or house churches, community, people together has been his plan. So when I say to the AFC, if you try to go it alone and say, I don't need church or I don't need community, you're on a path of failure. You have to be with others. So in that grouping of others, we're looking for a few people who can be spiritual friends. Who you can talk to about Jesus. And I tell the students, you're up late night talking about all kinds of things. Pick a roommate, find someone else. Make a close friend a spiritual friend. It'll help you on your journey of faith. So one of the things I wanted to do is to look at different passages of Jesus' life and see how he engaged with his friends. We're going to count his friends as his people who are his immediate surrounding group. So John 15, 15, help us see that. So in John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. I think it's a very sweet sentiment that Jesus calls this group of apostles friends. Because, why? Because he shared everything about the Father or from the Father with them. So he takes this group around him and he's described them as friends. And we're going to see how that plays out in different conversations. And these elements that Jesus shows us are elements you have to have or would be part of spiritual friendship. Okay? So, here we go. First one, Luke 22. 
But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon. Now, this is Jesus praying for a friend, someone he's already described as a friend. Simon Peter is a friend. He's currently, obviously, an apostle, but a friend. But I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented, clearly, we know he's going to fail, and turn to me again, strengthen your brothers. First element of something that happens with a spiritual friendship is you pray for them. Now notice already that you're going to have to share the prayer needs with someone or they're not going to know necessarily what specifically to pray for. A spiritual friend asks. A spiritual friend shares. This is what I need prayer for. Now, as a sidebar, one of the things that's typically easy for us to pray for is health needs because health needs are pretty much widely shared. At some point, we're all going to have some health needs, some health issue, some health crisis, or we're going to be touched personally in an immediate family, someone who's going to need a health, uh, who's going to have some health needs, and we share those pretty readily. That's a positive, great thing. But in this one, I'm going to pray for you in the word plead in prayer for you. That your faith should not fail. For a spiritual friend, you pray that their faith won't fail. If they happen to fall away, you encourage them to to repent. And after they repent from the verse, you encourage them to go further, stronger, better. Strengthen others in the faith. After you've turned back to me. So you pray for your spiritual friends. Next. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders. The chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he, uh, of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day be raised to life. That's what he was saying he was going to have to do. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, friend, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in my mind, in mind, the concerns of God, but merely human. What element? Confrontation and intervention. In this case, Peter is being either used by Satan or Satan is somehow in the in this engagement, so much so that Jesus says to him to turn away or get behind me, Satan, because you, Peter, have the things of human, human things in mind, not the things of God. I always thought this phrasing was a little interesting. When he looks at Peter and says, get me behind me, Satan, like that's not a phrase I would necessarily use with a friend, hey, get behind me, Satan, although we might say it sometimes in jest because we remember this passage. But in this case, Jesus already knew what he was going to have to do. He's already, just, he already said he's going to be killed. Remember on later in Gethsemane, he cried and prayed, swept drops of blood because it was an extraordinarily difficult task he was going to be asked to take. We already know earlier on that Satan tried desperately with the temptations to get Jesus off track. There's no question Satan didn't want the crucifixion to happen, didn't want the death, burial, resurrection to happen because he knew the outcome. But Peter, in this case, was actually, because he's thinking humanly, oh no, 
I don't want you to go do that. We're not ever going to let that happen. In this case, Peter was being used to get Jesus off godly things and back on human things. And we already know that it was a struggle to some degree because Jesus prayed in that garden about this. And we know, again, that Satan tried to get Jesus off task early on. So in this case, Peter, a friend, is talking to him, trying to encourage him away from the path that God had chosen for him. And Jesus rebukes him. Now, in friendships, I'll be the first to say that it is a difficult step to rebuke. We don't even like the word. I'm going to correct a friend. I'm going to rebuke a friend. I'm going to look at a friend and say, get behind me, Satan. First of all, remember, we're not talking about every friendship talking about Aggie football. We're talking about friendships that you have taken and moved already possess a lot of the elements of a spiritual friend. And I want to stop and say again, just like I said to the Aggies, your faith for the years that you have ahead of you to be sustaining faith, to be on a journey of faith, is going to be dependent on others. And those should be spiritual friends that you talk about Christ things with, who you, one, pray for, two, intervene and correct. With the students, I tell them this looks like it's actually not that difficult to do, at least to notice, because don't you? You notice people in your circles who seem to be sort of drifting, And then so the spiritual friend steps in. Says you have the things of this earth on your mind. And not heavenly things. It made me think about this just now. Not that I wrote it down because I didn't. Is that when I'm talking to the students as well. And I'm talking about when they're trying to find a, a spouse. Do your best to start running toward Jesus. Just start running toward Jesus. And then somewhere down the line... Grab the hand of someone who's running in that very same direction. It's the same way with our friendships. You want to get to Jesus, grab the hand of someone who's going in that same direction. That's what Jesus was doing with his friends. Prayed, pleaded for Peter, corrected Peter. Corrected Peter. Next, three. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Peter's getting the brunt of all of it. Now you go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of singing. One pray, two correct, three push. So Peter wasn't going to go out there and throw those nets back down again. He was done for the day. I've been casting nets forever. I'm going to get any fish. Go out deeper, deeper, and throw those nets down again and see what you get. 
What does a friend do? Pushes you farther. In our spiritual friendship scenario, he pushes you further toward Jesus. We have encouragers. Some of you guys can remember uh, you were a coach or perhaps you've been in different scenarios where you coach teams. You want to push the players further. You can run more. You know, you can do one more. I'm remembering that. Uh, I can't even remember the show. Sorry. Where the guy's doing the bear crawls on the ground and someone's yelling in front of him. What, what, what movie is that, Wes? Come on, Wes. You let me down. Facing the, Facing the giant. So he's on the ground and he's pushing the, and the coaches and running him. Go a little further, further. Well, that's a great visual for what you want from your spiritual friend toward Jesus. And one of the things that happens, or one of the ways that happens is, are you talking about Jesus? Stop, another sidebar. A good place to start about your willingness to do this or affinity for having those conversations are simply to ask yourself, do you and your spouse talk about Jesus? Of all people that should be a spiritual friend, that would be one. And I'm not even saying necessarily get up every day. What do you think about Jesus' day? What do you think about Jesus' day? What do you think about Jesus' day? It's not like, you know. But it's at least salt and peppering your conversations. God things, Bible things, Christ-like things, Jesus things. It's going to make a determination not only about how you make the path from here to the end of faith. And the goal is faithfulness to you die but it also depends on how you make that journey next one of my sort of favorites of this list pray plead push i didn't even plan for the three p's pray plead push it just came out look at that Matthew 26, then Jesus went with them to the olive grove. This is where he's going to be getting close to the crucifixion called Gethsemane. <clears throat> and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. My soul is crushed. To, with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I love that. I think about this like someone who is in, we'll even use a health issue, someone who is deathly ill and someone doesn't let them be alone, but sits with them through the night. Jesus, perfect Jesus, was distressed to the point of death, and he says to a couple of them, stay here and keep watch with me. I just didn't think he wanted to be alone. I love that. That's how I'm taking it. Stay here with me and keep watch with me. Now we know he steps a little bit further off to pray. But I just didn't think he wanted to be alone. I know. I can't say that I've ever felt crushed in grief to the point of death. But I've felt plenty of times when it was good just to have some noise in the house. Or have people around 
have some friends. The darkness now, particularly this time of year, drives me crazy. The darkness, quiet house, sometimes it's sweet, but sometimes, particularly at the times when I'm distressed, discouraged, worried, which I most likely would be, it's good to not be alone. So we comfort. We pray, we plead, we push, we share the burdens. We sit in those late night rooms when it's quiet so that people aren't alone at the point of grief. So, pray, plead, push, correct, share, intervene, all examples of spiritual friendship. A couple of verses from Psalm of Proverbs 18. One who has unreliable friends. I want to read both these back together, I think, uh, Wes. One who, was unreliable, who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There are, same verse, NLT, New Living Translation, there are friends, quote unquote, who destroy, do dis, who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. So I want to talk just a second or two about why is this so crucial. Why is it so crucial? So, um, and how, and also why, a little bit why it's so hard. So I don't know, maybe you're thinking about someone that you would call a spiritual friend. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a, a father, maybe it's a close friend. Um, maybe you have a group. Interestingly enough, I go to the kettle pretty regularly because that's just gotten to be the thing where I, I go with students. I mean, I'm at the kettle pretty regularly. Although it slipped away a little bit at the end because students have not been out as much. But, you know, I see some of y'all there at the kettle. Steve Smith, I see a couple times at the kettle. He's there, I think, a couple times a week at least. Those friend groups or support groups, encouraging groups, uh, camaraderie groups, laughter groups, I'm not going to be alone groups. I think one of them is the Widower's Club, or I don't know if I'm making that number up, name up, but, you know, people get together. For whatever reason that has drawn them together we have many different groups that we're parts of do you have a spiritual friend the better question is are you a spiritual friend it takes vulnerability plus time I'm not going to find somebody in here today and go introduce myself to him and go uh, hey, you're my spiritual friend. But over time, and the best candidate for you as a spiritual friend is someone you've known for some length of time. You know more about them. You've shared more stories. You know about their family. You know about their experiences. You know about their work history. You know about what they do as a job. You know about where they came from. You know about some funny stories from college. You know about some funny stories in marriage. You know about whether there's difficulties in marriage or whether it's easy in marriage. Ease in marriage. You know whether they've experienced um, tragic deaths or other different situations that have really helped to mold who they are. But then that takes time, doesn't it? It takes a lot of conversations on the road, road trips, a lot of places. 
Sleepovers, maybe starting even when you're high school years, and you still have a lifelong friend like that. But it takes also the vulnerability. And don't freak out about the word. Sometimes that happens. When I said this in the college student class, I could actually walk a, watch a couple of guys go, oh, they didn't make that grunt noise. I could just see their face. Vulnerability. That's so difficult. But remember, I'm not asking to share your deepest, darkest, only you know secrets. Honestly, sometimes that's between you and God. And maybe one other. What I'm asking you to do is to propel, pray, plead, push each other toward Jesus, which might include the vulnerability of sharing deep secrets but it's at least a vulnerability to talk about Jesus and Christ and God things. It's a little hard. So why is it important? This verse from Genesis helps. Then I have another one. Then the Lord said to Cain, there's one phrase here that helps us this morning. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Who is, why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. My phrase is, sin is crouching at the door. And it wants you. When I pray about my kids, which I do regularly, it'll make me tear up here, is that I pray repeatedly that God will protect them from the evil one because he's just sitting right outside. I was going to try to come up with a, a, a visual for that, for sin crouching out the door. I don't have one. Make one up in your mind. But right outside your kid's door, sin is crouching. And he wants them. Part, as a parent, and part, of their faith as they grow and become mature adults is the surrounding of and engaging with spiritual friends. Remember, you're not going to make it alone. I tell the students, Satan is infinitely more powerful than you. And you want to fight him alone? That's the plan. It takes all manner of things. Our personal time and relationship with Jesus, the one we call ourselves a disciple of. But it talks, takes other things, specifically other people, who are pleading that Satan won't get my child. Or my friend. Or my spouse, my mother, whoever. That's why it's serious. The path is already an ex extraordinarily difficult. We make it so much more so when we just want to put our own steps in front of each other and just do it alone. 
You need someone. And you need to be someone. That is a spiritual friend. The second verse, familiar. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So Leslie, several years ago, she may have got it from somewhere. I don't know. I'm not attributing it to her. Doesn't matter. But she would tell our kids, not so much when all of them were in their young age, but at a pretty recent time period with our youngest, we were having conversation. And Leslie started talking about this verse, and she started talking, using the phrase, starve the lion. Starve the lion. Don't give him any inroads. Don't lay any bait that makes him want to come closer. Starve the lion. Because he's prowling around looking for some easy prey. Don't let him find you as an easy prey. So I wanted to give um, a practical step of how to do it. Because I tried to do this with the students. Instead of just laying out some, hey, this is what I want you to do. This is some ways that this might actually happen. That are somewhat maybe just sort of springboards to it. So when I showed them... uh, this slide, this is where the things I thought that they could do because they're already engaged with people to some degree. They have tons of friends. You have tons of great friends. Or you have some close friends. <clears throat> so I thought these were easy things you could do. Ask someone, hey, how can I pray for you? That's not super hard. That may already be a part of you and a friend's relationship. Ask someone, how is it going between you and God? And then certainly, a more difficult one, perhaps because of the possible responses is, depending on how close you are, is there anything you're not telling me as a spiritual friend that I might need to know or might be helped to talk about? So I showed the students these, and I'm considering you the same. I think these steps are pretty easy. With a spouse, when you're leaving in the morning, Hey, how can I pray for you today? Text her or him later. Hey, I was thinking about you. How can I pray for you today? Hey, I didn't see you till over the weekend you got back. How's it going between you and God? I'm keep doing this like you're doing it, but you can say it verbally. (laughs) Everything's like that. Or, hey, is there anything you're not telling me? These three questions I posed to them, and I came back, and I came back to those early slides too about how you remember where we started today. You don't accidentally get close to God, and you don't make a spiritual friend accidentally. You're not going to find yourself drifting to a friend and just go, "Oh man, just like we just talk about Jesus." Just almost that was our first conversation. It doesn't happen like that, and you make yourself like Jesus by following. His pattern, and we looked at that this morning, how he prayed and pleaded for Peter, how he confronted Peter, how he pushed him, and how when he needed people around him, he asked for people to come be around me because I'm at the point of grief. It's about to kill me. Come stay near me. Watch with me. I thought a little bit about um, our what we say. Finding hope and purpose. So we say we want to help people find hope and purpose. 
We want to find, and we do. We want to find people find help people find hope and purpose, right? Well, this is a mechanism for that one, one of many to have within our own community of believers spiritual friendships and invite people into that. I think that's a mechanism and an avenue for hope and purpose is the engaging with others in conversations or on the topics of Jesus Christ the Lord. I thought of another topic for this other than just spiritual friendship. And I have this banner that hangs down in the AFC Center. This could also just be titled, Hey, remember, take care of each other. Same thing. But in the most intimate, heart intimate, mind intimate way. Let's talk about Jesus. He's the one that we follow. I remember thinking, um, feeling guilty. When I was a young parent, and people would talk about how, yeah, every night we sit down around the fire. I'm making this part up. It's Texas, not every night fire. We're sitting around the fire of the fire. And we all get out our Bibles, and we get our Devo books, and we got our journals. I've got my kids writing verses forever. They're writing one Psalm, you know, they're writing Psalm 119 in Greek by now, you know. And I'm thinking, that's so much pressure, man. I'm not doing that. Do I pray? Am I praying with my kids enough? Am I, okay, stop everybody. Let's turn the TV off. We're all going to gather all, you know, around the couch, and we're going to talk about God. That's good. I would feel guilty because I wasn't great at that. But what we tried to do is we tried to, a phrase I used earlier, make sure that we at least, and we did that on occasion, we were better, then we failed, then we were better, and then we failed, and we started, and we stopped, started, and stopped, and did it with one, didn't do it with the other. I mean, but we tried more often to pepper and salt and pepper our language and our conversations with God things. As simple as driving to school, when they rode with me all the way down Highway 377 to the school, and there was a beautiful sunset, and we go, hey, look at that beautiful sunrise. Look at that beautiful sunrise. God made that beautiful sunrise. Let's at least get in the habit of our friendships, salt and peppering our conversations, which are honestly going to be largely around football and sports and hunting and hobbies and family, and as well as it should be, those bind us together as friends. But let's add the element of Jesus. How can I pray for you today? How's it going between you and God? Is there something that you're not telling me? Spiritual friendship. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you, first of all, that you hear us. And that you don't hear grudgingly. You ask for us to enter your presence. And you welcome us. I'm thinking about the father getting the prodigal son back just jumping up in joy walking through the door maybe and someone just being so glad with a loud voice you're here thank you for your invitation that's always open help us yearn to be at your throne and to be in your presence 
Father, we ask for us to be convicted this morning in different other ways, in different other times we hear people talk or we hear something or we pray or someone says something to us, but convict us in ways that move us closer to you. Help feeling, feeling of contentment bother us so that we want more and we want to be closer, but also help us to be determined in our actions to make that happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Monica.